You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. It's our friend John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network. Check out their outstanding audio content on the Texans team channel here on TuneIn as the Texans are enjoying their bye week. John, thanks for taking the time. So much chatter about Deshaun Watson, deservedly so. In your view, what are the skills, both physical and mental, that have enabled him to play this well this soon in the NFL? Well, that's that's a great question, Brian. I think one of the things that people didn't understand about him for whatever reason is how much, A, he loves football, and B, his high football IQ. I mean, he came here to Houston with a very high football intelligence level, and that has really helped him decipher defenses. We just talked to Sean Ryan today, quarterback's coach, and I asked him that same question. I said, Coach, what's been impressive about Deshaun? He said, he sees and understands everything very quickly, and he processes it, he processes it quickly as well. And I think that's really what separates him from a lot of quarterbacks. And I've, I've really come around on that aspect being maybe the most important for a quarterback. How quickly do you process once the ball is snapped what you're supposed to do? But he's also been able to make throws at all levels. I mean, you guys just played the clip right there, throwing the ball deep to Will Fuller. He should have had a second one to Fuller. Uh, and Fuller was unable to hang on to it, but that was a beautiful ball. But his deep ball accuracy, which was supposed to be uh, one of a, a red flag for him heading into the year coming out of Clemson, it's been an asset for this team, and it's really opened things up down the field. So there's so much to say about Deshaun, and all he'll tell you is, I just got to get better every single week. You know, he doesn't think he's bigger than the team. He never will. I mean, the guy came in with a Warren Moon jersey on, walking into the stadium on Sunday, just won everybody over in Houston. That's of my age demographic that remembers how great Warren Moon was for the city of Houston. He's just doing everything right right now. He's the right demeanor. He's the right type of calm and uh, soothingness, I guess, if you will, uh, for this offense to really keep them going in a positive direction no matter what's been thrown at them. I remember at one time when speaking about uh, the quarterback position, talking about Tom Savage and – and uh, Deshaun Watson asking Coach Bill O'Brien the question, like, what would be the difference? And he said only about four plays. Do you beg to differ on that, that there's only a four-play difference between Tom Savage when it comes to play calling and Deshaun Watson based on what you see so far with him? No, because I, I think what's happened, Cordell, is that with, with, uh, with the game plan with Deshaun, I think what happened was when they got ready for New England, they went out and found a couple of things they knew were going to work with Deshaun and that were going to give New England trouble. And what that did was, once they had success with it, all of a sudden they went back to the, they went back to the lab, if you will, and said, all right, what more can we do? So now the, the package of plays is so much different than, than what Tom could run. And, and look, Tom got pulled out of that Jacksonville game and, and because they really couldn't, they couldn't protect him. And so he, he made some good throws early on, but I think the biggest difference in both in Tom and Deshaun is just what I said is the processing speed. Deshaun can process things so quickly and get the ball where it needs to go, and that was still something that Tom was not really able to do right now. And I don't know, maybe if in more reps it would happen, but it just wasn't happening for Tom. And I think with the offensive line the way it was, Bill O'Brien realized, I've got to make this change or otherwise we're going nowhere. But I think it's been even more impactful, the change, than anything even the offensive staff anticipated. I think Watson is better than anybody 
thought he was going to be, with the exception of one person, Deshaun Watson. He knew he could be this good. I think everybody else is still a little bit shocked at it. We're spotlighting the Texans with our friend John Harris from the Texans Radio Network and the Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. John, let's go back to Sunday. I know Cleveland was the opponent, but they're on scholarship too, as we like to say. How did the Texans' defense look in the first game without both J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless? Well, they were they were productive from a sack and a turnover standpoint, and I think that's the biggest thing in what this defense is going to have to do. They're going to have to generate some big plays, some impactful plays, from guys you've never heard of. They had four sacks the other day, and they're from Ufoma Kamalu, Curtis Drummond, and I know you guys know this name, Lamar Houston, but those are pretty much unknown guys. Those guys are going to have to step up, but Jonathan Joseph came up big. He's been banged up throughout the week. And so it was, it was the turnovers and the sacks, and, and part of that was because it was Kevin Hogan. Part of that is because the Browns' receiving core is just really not that good. But part of it was they just played better team defense, uh, and they knew they had to without Watt and Merciless. Look, can they do that to Seattle with Russell Wilson? Uh, hard to say, but they just have to do the things that they're capable of doing. And, look, keeping a quarterback in contained, I mean, that's one of the first things you learn as a defensive player. Anybody can do that. And that's what killed them against the Chiefs without Watt and without Merciless. Those are some of the things that they've got to take care of. If they play solid team defense, they're still going to be limited in some areas because of the losses, but they're going to be okay because the scheme's pretty good. They still have got with Clowney and McKinney and DJ Reader. They still got a pretty stout front seven. The secondary will get Kevin Johnson back. That's going to help. So this defense won't be number one in the league, but with the offense moving the ball the way that it does, it doesn't have to. It just has to give Deshaun and that offense a couple of opportunities. And the other day with three interceptions, it definitely did that. I mean, when you watch how Seattle plays on offense, they don't really do anything really well. There's no rhyme or reason to what they do. Uh, so I don't, I don't think the, the defense of Houston would really have that much trouble. They just need to be more disciplined. But when you see this, this team within the division, seeing that you have the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the type of football that they're playing, which is really, really good football, the Tennessee Titans, we just end up seeing them getting a, a win against the Indianapolis Colts uh, just last night. When you look at this team in Houston, do you see them with what they're doing, how they're growing with Deshaun Watson being the team to actually beat within this division? I don't know if I would say, Cordell, it's it's the team to beat. I think these three teams are all very close. I know Jacksonville gets beat by Tennessee, and then we hammered Tennessee, but then Jacksonville hammered us. Now, you can make excuses or give reasons why that all happened. Watson only played a half against Jacksonville, and it was a bad matchup for us, whatever. Jacksonville is the one that worries me, and I heard you, Cordell, talk about this just a little bit, a little while ago. Jacksonville, I think, overall, has the most young talent and is maybe the most talented team in the division. But from week to week, not really sure what you're going to get from Jacksonville because there might be one week where teams can shut down or slow down Leonard Fournette, and then the game falls on the shoulders of Blake Bortles. Well, that's the advantage for the opponent. So that's the one thing with Jacksonville. That defense is for real. The Jacksonville defense, to me, is the best one I've seen this year, and it's not even close. They were as nasty and physical, and I've been down to the sidelines NFL games now from this is my fourth year down to the sidelines. I don't think I've seen a defense, even ours, that ran around and hit people and were as physical as the Jacksonville defense. Now, sometimes they run off and hide, and you go, hey, where are you guys? What are you doing? And so that inconsistency is something that Jacksonville's going to have to battle. But if you're facing Jacksonville at volume 10, 
teams are going to have a really tough time beating them because of all the young talent that has been accumulated there. You just have to hope that if you're the opponent, that Blake Bortles can throw you one or throw you a couple of them. I don't think Tennessee has that defense. Now, we don't, without Merciless and Watt, have that group, but we still got a lot of guys that have played a ton of football on that side and some youthful guys like Zach Cunningham and Dylan Cole, who hopefully will be back in two or three weeks off the hamstring, that have given this defense maybe a different look, which will help it. And this defense always plays better in the second half of the year. We're not as athletically talented as Jacksonville, but overall we play a better team defensive concept and we have Deshaun Watson pulling the trigger. So I don't know if I would make us the, the straw that stirs the drink in the AFC South, but I know when we're at, we're at our, our best and going against Jacksonville's best, I think we can beat them because, like Bortles, if the game's put on his shoulders, we can beat him. And that's, I think, the most important thing when facing Jacksonville. Make him beat you. And if he can, more power to him. But he hasn't proven that he can do that. When Jacksonville loses, look at his stat numbers and his production. It's way down. And that, I think, is going to be the key facing Jacksonville this year. And to amplify that point, as you know, Bortles with another interception Sunday in the loss to the Rams. John, let's wrap it up with a potential transaction getting closer to the trade deadline. Do you think that could be the catalyst leading to the trade of Dwayne Brown, whose holdout continues? Well, I've heard two things this week, and I don't know, of course, which one to believe, Brian, that that Dwayne will report on Monday after the Texans return from a bye. And then I've heard, well, there's a deal imminent. There's a part of me that feels like Dwayne Brown will be playing – on Sunday, whether it's for the Texans or the Seahawks. It just feels like those are the two teams that it, it makes the most sense for, for Dwayne to play. Now, I haven't heard any trade chatter uh, in the building at all, so I don't know if that means that he's coming back. And if he comes back to the Texans and he's right physically and, and, and gets himself in football shape pretty quickly, you know, he makes the Texans better, there's no question, but he's going to make anybody better no matter where he goes. I just don't know with this amount of time that he's been away, the hard feelings that are there. I don't know. So I've heard a couple of things. I don't know which one to believe. So we'll all kind of sit on pins and needles next week and see whether Dwayne enters the building or not. And that'll certainly be a topic we cover when we chat with you a week from now. John, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Absolutely, guys. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on TuneIn. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on TuneIn.